Hi there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hi, everyone. It's me, Laura Wasser. And me, Johnny Rains. Thanks for joining us today. Most people listening know something about my work as an attorney. And we know all of you out there love it when she gets all lawyerly. So you're in luck today because our show is about the law, family law to be exact, and the effect COVID-19 is having on the family law community across the United States. For example, that story you sent me about the divorced ER doctor, uh, I think her name's uh, Erica Green in Florida, who lost custody temporarily of her daughter amid coronavirus fear. She says it's discriminatory. Do you think it is? I don't know if it's discriminatory, but I I am very torn by that one because we really are trying so hard as family law practitioners to weigh the risks of spreading and exposing and having even a kid who may not get it be a carrier to also the huge appreciation that we're having for our healthcare workers. We'll talk a little bit more about that, I think, with the judge <laughs> teaser. Excellent. Um, yes. And as you said, we're going to dive deeper into family law, into the whole family law conversation in a moment. But for those of you with hopes to avoid family law court altogether, we came across these tips that might help you while you're sheltering in place with your partner and trying not to commit a hate crime. I guess this is from Ted.com. How to keep quarantine from ruining your marriage by Carol Brees. She's an author and professor at the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota. And she did research-based tips for couples, including creating and maintaining rituals of connection, even in quarantine. You want to tell us about that, Johnny? Because I didn't read it. Ah, well, I did. And yes, she talks about creating the importance of rituals. I, she points out that many of the rituals that we might have had pre-quarantine are out the window. Um, she actually um, puts it, hello, quarantine, goodbye routine. But she recommends that while you're quarantining, especially if you're in close quarters, that you create space for one another and new rituals. Another thing she recommends that I thought was interesting is she recommends you each carve out a place for your uh, work. And when you see the other person in that space, ignore them, pretend like you don't see them just to limit the communication and to give them boundaries. And, and I, I suppose that's the, the uh, trick to a successful relationship in quarantine. What if, when they weren't in quarantine, you called them incessantly at the office or just showed up. I suppose you can't <laughs> do that in quarantine, Laura. That could end up in a spike in divorce. I actually read something today. For those of you who are going crazy with your partners in quarantine, I read like, and again, I know we know about this, but it was heartbreaking. Single parents with little kids. Okay. So you're a single mom or dad, you've got little kids. You can't do what I do every morning and go for a run. You can't even go to the bathroom in some instances when you've got these toddlers who are into everything. You can't, you know, watch just a, an old rom-com that you wanted to see or sit down and read a book. These little kids are constantly in need of care and attention. And some of these single parents, man, I, my hat goes off to you guys because they probably really need a break right now. So again, 
Grass is always greener, but do think about that when you're stuck with your co-parent and he or she is driving you fucking crazy. What if you were that person that was alone? Absolutely true. But let's face it, Laura, these tips may not work for everyone, which is why perhaps everyone from Entertainment Tonight to Jane Polly at CBS Sunday Morning are hounding you about the possibility of a massive surge in divorces when the quarantine is over. Could be. Let's talk a little bit, though, about what we're doing while it's happening, because most of what those news agencies have been asking me about is beyond what's going to happen when it's done. What can we be doing while it's going on? And those of us in the Southern California family law community have been really lucky because many of us years ago started using private judges. And I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Um, whether you're in the midst of your own divorce on It's Over Easy, or you're working now with yours and your soon-to-be ex's divorce attorneys, maybe you've moved past that and onto navigating the custody agreement you and your ex agreed to prior to the coronavirus pandemic. Whatever your situation, family law or matrimonial law, depending on the vocabulary most common in your jurisdiction, regulates your divorce, the division of your marital assets, spousal support, and if you have kids, the law sets forth the guidelines by which you, your ex, and the judge, if you go to court, will determine legal and physical custody. We're in the studio today with the esteemed and much lauded Honorable Judge Scott M. Gordon. He was a judge on the Los Angeles Superior Court for 17 years and a legal expert for the United Nations. He serves today as a neutral with signature resolution in Los Angeles. He's a mediator, an arbitrator, a judge pro tem, a discovery referee, a parenting plan coordinator, and someone we are very privileged and honored to have join us today. Your Honor, welcome to All's Fair, Judge Gordon. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> I want to tell the listeners, it's really funny, when we were doing our prep call for this last week, so I've known Judge Gordon, well, has to be for probably 17 years, yes. at least, and I've, and, and I've always called him Judge Gordon. I mean, that's who he is, Judge Gordon, Your Honor. Johnny gets on the phone and he says, so Scott, let me ask you this. And I was like, oh my God, this is so awkward. <laughs> I have the same thing going with Johnny. I've got no problem with Johnny with you as Ms. Wasser. I, I, but I think we can, we can get beyond that. But I, it, those are old habits to, um, that are hard to get rid of. So Johnny, since you're so tight with Judge Gordon, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, well, uh, he is a uh, California native uh, from, uh, who went to California State University, Dominguez Hills, got a Bachelor of Science uh, in public administration. And interestingly enough, he served as a police officer and detective for the Santa Monica Police Department uh, while he was attending Southwestern Law School. All very impressive background. And it is interesting because, again, I've known the judge for a long time. We do use him as a neutral for our cases, and we'll talk about what that means. But when I have clients that say to me, is this going to be one of those judges that just thinks I'm some rich guy and I've got plenty of money and I should pay my ex plenty of money too because why not? I've got the money. I'm like, this guy actually worked his way through law school as a cop. He couldn't be more down to earth. He gets it. And that's like, that's definitely my pitch for you most of the time, Your Honor, because I just do think, you know, you, you've seen it. You've been on the bench for so long. He was our presiding judge when I was kind of at the height of my litigation downtown. And he just, you just, you get it. He gets it. Well, thank you. And that, and that's something you do have to do in this work is kind of understand where everybody's coming from and that everybody in there isn't the same and that the challenges that people bring into these cases affect you no matter if you make a dollar a year or a million dollars a month. And so 
what I've always found interesting is you were the deputy, deputy district attorney for 16 years, and then you were a judge for 17 years, including being the supervising family law judge. So you've done criminal and you've done family law. So you know the old saying, divorce attorneys see really good people on their worst behavior and criminal defense attorneys see really bad people on their best behavior. Do you find that to ring true? hundred percent true. And when I did criminal law, most of it as a DA was cases involving violence against women and kids, child abuse, domestic violence. So it's a lot of the same issues we deal with, but absolutely. Criminal defendants know this is, I got to put my best face forward. Not so much in family law court. And I bet you've seen some pretty ugly situations in both instances. I have, as you have. Um, yes. Yes, people, these are emotional, emotional things. The, what we're dealing with are some of the most stressful things a person can go through um, beyond a death of a, a spouse or, or a loved one. Changes in your job, changes in finance, changes in marriage, change in child custody are extremely stressful things. And one of our jobs is to keep that kind of let that noise go over and get to the issues. Yes, and you do that well. Johnny, tell everybody some of the appointments, awards, and honors that the judges had, and then we'll get into the meat of this and what he thinks about what's happening right now in our world of family law. Absolutely, with pleasure. Judge Gordon has some amazing, just to hit on some of them, in 2011, he was awarded the Family Law Judicial Officer of the Year by the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, 2008. He was named Judicial Officer of the Year by Southwestern Law School. He also has been named Prosecuting Attorney of the Year by the LA Bar Association. He won Humanitarian of the Year by the Commission on Assault Against Women in 2003, Excellence in Teaching Award from Stern. And he's also the recipient of the Sir Brandeis Award by the LA County Bar Association. Tell about some of the United Nations stuff, because I, I, one of the things I didn't know until this year is that you were appointed as a judge on the Hague Convention matters. And the Hague Convention, guys, is something that, that we, the U.S., entered into with many, many other countries to kind of say, hey, we're going to treat these kind of things the same way. And particularly as they pertain to child custody. And so I think, Johnny, you know this. This weekend I was supposed to be in New Orleans, and then next weekend I was supposed to be in Napa speaking with um, various bar associations, and Judge Gordon was kind enough to give me some of his writings on hate convention and how we treat stuff when people get on a plane with their kid and take them to another country, whether they're a signatory to the hate convention or not. I guess the silver lining in this whole COVID-19 thing is that's not happening too much these days. It's not happening, but like everything else, when it does happen, it's getting access. Um, yes. What you're talking about is the, the Hague Convention you've discussed is the treaty that governs which jurisdiction will take, will take a case when someone takes a child from one country to another, um, parental, kind of parental abduction. The convention uh, mandates that each country has two judges, the United States four, that serve on the international network of Hague judges. I was honored enough to be invited by the State Department to do it for us. So it's fascinating. And that means you talk to judges in the United States about these cases, foreign judges, and go and represent the United States. Um, we used to, before we did those things, represent the United States at conferences and to train judges in other countries. It's, it's, it's really very interesting stuff. Yeah, the cases that I've had, I had one with Belarus. I mean, I've had one with Iran. It's very, very interesting to see how different uh, jurisdictions, different countries handle this stuff. 
Tell us, and what their perception of us is. <laughs> yes, and how it's changed over the past four or five years. Yep. Yep. Okay. So tell us a little bit, because I referred to you earlier as a neutral and as a private judge. I don't know that all of our listeners know what that means. So we've got two functions. And one thing that I'm going to start with that you talk about all the time, and I think you do this extremely well and have this focus in your practice, is the best thing that can happen is to settle a case. It's for people to come to an agreement, figure things out, and move on. Um, so a lot of what we do is, just, you said, serve as a neutral, serve as a mediator, try to help people do that, bring them together, talk to them, work with them to come to an agreement. That's it. It's a collaborative media approach. The other side that we do, and California is somewhat unique in this, um, is parties can stipulate, and we get appointed by the court, and we serve as a judge, just as if I was downtown, um, except uh, not in the building that... Um, my wife has descriptions for how it smells um, in a little different building. Uh, and you serve as a private judge and you conduct trials just as you would downtown. Okay. And so we, those of us who have been using private judges and neutrals, are really lucky because during this time, we have actually been able to work and move forward. Tomorrow, I've got a voluntary settlement conference that I'll be doing via Zoom all day. Uh, as it turns out on Sunday, and I'm not too happy about this because it's going to be a nice weekend, with one of your colleagues, I have a uh, an actual hearing that takes place all day via Zoom. We're doing it. You can actually put exhibits up on the screen and screen share. It's a little cumbersome, but it's working and you get results, which is really, really nice because if we've been using a retired judge or a judge pro tem throughout this whole time, you don't have to wait until the courts open back up. Those judges have the power to be able to come in and make rulings and decisions. You guys have been great about us being able to communicate with you, both your company, Signature Resolution, and some of the other private judges that we work with. It's been a lifesaver in my opinion, and I do believe, and I've told my clients this from the beginning because they say, well, isn't it more expensive? Judges downtown, that's free. The backlog at your normal courthouse is so severe that what often happens is you go down there, you've got two lawyers, if you're not representing yourself, and you sit there all day and you're paying your lawyer his or her hourly rate. I explain it to clients and say, if you're going to pay my hourly rate, you might as well be having a hearing or getting results. So for the added cost of the judge that's going to be hearing this, you now are actually getting the results and not paying me to sit around and do nothing, which I wish you didn't have to, but you do. So I do think this is going to really, really catch on. We'll talk in a little bit about some of the tech stuff that I also think will catch on as a result of this. But what do you think, Your Honor? We talked a bit about the Florida story. What do you think about that woman? She's a healthcare worker. Her husband or ex-husband said he didn't feel comfortable with their four-year-old going back and forth because she'd been in the hospital in scrubs all day, intubating people really, really on the front line. So super honorable and yet didn't want her coming home and, and having custodial time with the four-year-old because he thought that was dangerous. So the court actually took her custodial time away from her and what do you think about that? Well, a, a couple of things. Oh, I'm going to talk about it generally. The first thing that you learn uh, when you're a judge and people talk about your cases that hit the press is you got to see the actual case. You know, there, there, there's several cases, cases that you and I have done that hit the media. My wife would come in and say, look, this happened in the case today because People Magazine said it. And it's like, well, no, that, 
Not, not so much. So <laughs> as the specifics of that case, we'd have to look into it. But this general issue is one that's real. I've actually had it in cases during this time. I think one of the things you have to do as a judge in these cases is kind of get beyond fear and get to facts. And when you make decisions based on fear in anything in life, but especially in, in family law, especially as a judge, you're not making the best decisions. Do you have to acknowledge fear? You can't just discount people's fear, but you've got to look at the facts. I had a case where that was an issue, but the, it was a gentleman who was a doctor, and it was his lawyer did a great job presenting all the precautions he was taking, both at his workplace and at home, and it alleviated the fears. And it's actually, once we got beyond that and set up a visitation schedule, it's gone fine. I think binary decisions in family law, you know, never, always, don't work. And look, I was a first responder. You know, I, I was a patrol cop. And I think that what the first responders are doing from firefighters, police officers, paramedics, janitors in the hospitals, doctors, nurses, is nothing short of heroic. And to tell them they can't see their kids because of that sacrifice, that's a challenge. Do we have to protect their families? Of course. But I, of all the people that know how to do it, I... I my experience is these folks are taking extraordinary precautions. So I think you have to look at it very individually. Let's talk about people that are taking advantage of the circumstances right now and saying, gee, I just, I really don't feel that comfortable. I don't think that you're washing your hands enough. You never really washed your hands very much when we were together, if I recall correctly. And I just don't feel that you're being that clean. What do we say to those people? Tell us about your flight attendant rule, the exit row rule, like you so like to say. I'll, I'll tell you two things. <laughs> First, you know, it's what I've been hearing is that, well, I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. You know, and where that first came was in the 19th century. It was a woman named Mary Modena, who was a queen married into the British Empire. And she tried that. It cost her 32 years of exile in France. So it didn't work out too well with her. The <laughs> other thing I go to is old stories is the Pied Piper, the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Remember that old fairy tale with yeah. the... Folks that wanted him to get rid of the rats with his pipe and they didn't pay and said, okay, it took all the kids away. Once things get rolling up, there's a lot of people who are going to pay the piper. Where the flight attendant rule comes in is what the law says is that when a judge decides who's going to be the primary custodial parent, one of, if not the most important things you look at is who's going to promote and respect the other parent's visitation rights. So the way I would phrase it is say it's just like when we used to fly. And if you would sit in the exit row, the flight attendant would ask you two questions. Are you able to open the door? And you could be a weightlifter who could take the door off its hinges. But the second question is, are you willing to open the door? And if you're not willing to, you can't sit there. It's just like custodial parent. If you're not willing to follow the court's orders, can't be custodial parent. And in my time, I have changed custodial orders many times for someone that just won't follow the orders and won't promote those orders. But it is a challenge right now. And and I think there are people that are taking advantage or people that are profoundly afraid. And maybe that fear is is rational. Maybe it's really, really over the top, but it's real. How important is it for you as a trier of fact to be able to be in the same room with the people or at least see them? I mean, could I know that we sometimes do telephonic hearings, but those are mostly just with attorneys. So actually being able to do these Zoom calls and certainly being in the same place, because again, I could say, gosh, I'm just so scared about this. I mean, if my fear isn't real, then is there some punitive 
uh, punitive decision that you make. And also, if it is real, but it's not rational, how do you do that? And isn't it important for you to really be able to experience and get an impression of, of, of the parties? Objection compounds sustain. Um, so, <laughs> um, the, the answer is yes. A couple of things. One, your first thing that's like a really great question is about presence. Family law, all law, but especially family law, is a phenomenally human thing. It's one of the things I love about it. And that kind of drama in the court and the chemistry between the attorneys, the judge, the court staff, the witnesses, the parties, in a mediation, it's very real. When I first started doing the Zoom stuff, I didn't know how it would work. Is it as good? No, but there are some advantages. I mean, when I do it, I, and I'm a tech guy, even though the gray hair may not belie it, but I'm a tech guy. I have four screens going, so I actually have more information at hand when I'm doing it. But there's, it's actually very effective, and you get a good read on people. Is it as good as when you're sitting next to them? Can you form the same kind of bonds? No, but it's still pretty good. And the success rate has been very good. But I think people have to be comfortable with it. Right. So they, you have to spend some time doing kind of what we're doing, just talking and getting used to and comfort doing it. But the whole thing is access. It's all access to justice. And one of the things we can do, especially in these times, is you just said you had a hearing on a Sunday. We can do them on Saturdays. We can do them on Sundays. We can do them in the evenings if that's more convenient for people. So at a time when there's really little access, which is not the, the judge's, you know, the system's fault, it provides that access. So I think it's going to continue after we're done. Do you as well? 100%. I think it's another tool. I think it's a tool people are getting comfortable with. I have done several that are multi-county already, where I have one party up in San Francisco, another party down here. I've got one coming up where somebody's in New York. I absolutely think we're going to see it. And that's, I think that's wonderful. I don't know on the public side if we are. Right. You know, um, setting up a, a, a law office, setting up our office to do this is one thing. Setting up a 600-court trial court with this capability Right. When I think we're going to see public budget shrinking is a real challenge. Right. What do you think about being able to make decisions? Again, mediation is one thing, but actual hearings. You think people are more comfortable when they're testifying from their living room or their home office? Do you think they slip sometimes and show a truer self than if they have to go downtown and find parking and they're in a suit and they're wandering around and they're in that very, even if it's like they say on TV, in Law and Order or in any of the movies we see about the courtroom, as opposed to some of our smaller departments downtown, it is foreboding. There is a certain scariness that you have when that happens. And I have noticed that most of you guys, at least at Signature, are not putting on your robes when you're having hearings via Zoom. So no. you guys look different too. Is there a guard that's let down as a result of that? And do people testify differently? And that was, it's always like seeing your teacher in the market when you're in a little kid in school. It's like, yeah. really freaks you out. It's like <laughs> seeing a judge in just a shirt. It's like, whoa. Um, it is kind of the same thing. You know, I've had people say, well, how do you know that they're not having someone holding up cue cards behind them or, you know, the dog is giving them answers or something? Or Part texting. Job, or, or even texting. texting. We had a depot the other day where our opposing counsel told my client to turn off his phone. And afterwards he said, why did she say that? I said, because you could hold your phone beneath the computer and I could be texting you the answers. You, know, you absolutely can do that. I will tell you, part of our job is judging credibility. And, you know, I'm going to suggest to you that 
the artifice of someone looking down at their phone and answering is just as apparent as if they had spent 15 hours with you two days before being drilled like they're on Broadway to a script. And then the first thing in cross-examination, they're off script and they, and they're, they don't know. Right. So I, I, I actually find it, um, witnesses are witnesses, people are people. I think they are a little more comfortable sitting in their houses. I, I have found that most of the people, because it's mostly parties, these are such high stakes things on their kids and their property that they want to get it uh, right. You know, do I get to see the same amount? One of the things that's different for me, when we're doing Zoom like right now, I'm seeing, you know, just like you're seeing me, I'm seeing you the whole time, face on. When you're doing a trial, remember that witness is to your side. Right. You're not seeing face to face. And I'm watching the whole courtroom. So in some ways, I'm seeing more of the witness than I am in courtroom. Right. Interesting. What do you think about people getting married via Zoom? I think it's cool. I think people need to move on. Um, you know, uh, my son and his wonderful, magnificent fiance were starting to plan their wedding when this hit. We were up looking at venues. So they're talking about what are they going to do now? They're a year off. But I think I think people have to move on. I think it's fabulous. I, I just, I think it's great. Speaking of moving on, so this technically could be after you've retired from the bench, but this could be more called your retirement. What, you seem like you're busier than ever in your next chapter. What compels you to continue doing this, serving families and the law, even though this is really your, not your second, because this is probably your third or fourth incarnation, but why do you decide to keep going? Um, my wife told me I had to. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like you. I love, one, I love to work. I, I just, I love to work. I love what we do. This is as human a thing as it is. And I, I will tell you something I like about this role that is much better than even the court. This is peacemaking. And the stuff I've done with the UN it, it, at its heart, being a cop, is peacemaking. And I like that. And so it's it's kind of the best of all worlds. It's uh, But I, I blessedly have been busy and want to stay busy. And I, I, I like working. Um, I, I mean, it. during this time off, being able to do something all day has been fabulous. From people getting married now on Zoom to healthcare workers having to fight to maintain custody of their children, COVID-19 is having a dramatic impact on every aspect of our lives and on our judicial system. It's not immune. Our family law courts may be forever changed by this pandemic. Be that as it may, our goal at our online divorce website, It's Over Easy, and here on All's Fair with Laura Wasser, that's me, by the way, is to keep you informed and in the know. So keep listening because today we're serving you fresh and exclusive content in our conversation with one of the most sought-after private judges in Southern California, the Honorable Scott M. Gordon. So, Judge Gordon, I know you're married. I know your wife. What is your perspective on divorce overall? You, you know, first of all, I think that relationships are dynamic. They're fluid. They change. And I think that people in their lives change. I married a Sicilian 37 years ago, and she told me there's only one way out of this. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I married way up. I'm very, very lucky. But people change. And I think that when you come to a transition in your life, embrace the transition and do it as positively as you can. And I think some of the things you talk about, about moving to the next perspective, next phase of your life, is what divorce should be. 
One of the things that's different about family law than any other form of law, it's prospective. Or a criminal is retrospective. Did you burglarize that house a year ago? And if so, right. what happens? Civil, did you breach the contract? Family law, it's what will you do tomorrow? Will you visit right. your child? Will you pay? It's all prospective. Very different focus. And oh, I like that. I, I think the healthier people move on their lives, the better. And if we can help them do that, I think that's fantastic. What do you look for in a successful mediation, Your Honor? One is, do the parties want to settle? Two is expectations. You guys as lawyers have so much influence on people. And if a lawyer has told someone, you, first of all, you don't win a mediation. You come to an agreement. You don't win. So people that have been told you're going to win this or you're going to get everything plus $100. So I, I, want, I hope the lawyers have built maybe aggressive expectations, but realistic expectations. The other thing is for people to listen. You know, mediation is a process. The way they all start is they all start the same way. I want everything. The other side says they get nothing. And then I have to work to find it in the middle. We can be creative in mediation, unlike court. Court, I'm limited on those many times of things I can decide. The law says I've got to go left or right. But one of the things that's great in mediation, we can be creative. We can right. come up with solutions that are completely legal, completely appropriate, fit these two people. We couldn't do in court. Right. So creative, creative, engaging, smart lawyers, advocates, but that they're willing to bend. When you get someone that just won't bend. Right. That's a challenge. Totally agree. I love having those people on the other side. From your perspective, give us some of, because again, I've, I've never sat on the bench. What are some of the do's and don'ts people should abide by in court, whether they're uh, particularly witnesses, but certainly party witnesses, what, or if they're just at counsel table? First of all, know the judge is watching. So all that nonverbal advocacy, the eye rolling, the smirking, the tongue, it, it impacts people. Two, listen to the judge. And you're actually great at this, but listen to the judge. The judge starts a hearing and says, what I really care about is the red car. Give me evidence about the red car. And everybody talks about the blue car. And then you come back and say, but you know what? I really want to hear about the red car. And they talk about the blue car. And then at the end of the hearing, you say, you know what? Denied because you didn't. Tell, Tell me about, about the, the red, red car. car. And they come back and say, why are you mad at me? Um, <laughs> I've also been in court with you when I, I can tell that somebody's winning. I've, let's say I'm sitting back in the galley. So somebody's winning. You've already pretty much made your decision. And he or she, the lawyer, is still arguing it. And you're like, and I'm thinking, wow, you may argue yourself right out of this ruling. I have absolutely watched and watched people that yank defeat out of the jaws of victory where one side is saying, look, they're just being mean and they're being care and they won't let you. One of the things is that you have to treat people with dignity. So if I'm going to take, if I'm going to limit someone's custody, I might be acknowledging how positive they are and how much they care before I say, but, and limit it. I've had lawyers say, I object to you doing that. Really? I'm, I'm trying to lower the, right. but absolutely people, it, it, there's always that bridge too far. You know, there's a, there's a reason why that some, you know, at the NFL, you can't, you know, in college football, you can't celebrate the touchdown too much. Um, right. You just, you just yeah. lost me and Johnny, by the way, <laughs> when you talked about football. <laughs> I know. I understand. Um, sorry about that. Uh, a lot of witnesses, a lot of lawyers, a lot of lawyers are tone deaf as to what's going on and being aware. 
is, is, is real. The other thing is the lawyers that get up and the lawyers that get up and say, look, the other side is right about points one, two, and three. But let's look at four, five, six, and seven. They do much better than saying, you know, what you get all the time is he is a gambler. He is an addict. He is an alcoholic. He is this. He is that. He is this. Well, what are you asking for? Well, he can have every other weekend in Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> really? Make sure that your arguments match what you're asking for. Absolutely. So, listeners, you've gathered that Judge Gordon and I go pretty far back. He's presided over family law matters that my office has been involved in. But now it's time to turn the tables. Judge Gordon, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact? Two. Well, you can three, have two. Oh. I have three. Okay. One, my, one, my son. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed to have a wonderful son. Two is to marry for 37 years to someone I married way up. You know her. One thing, I go to the family law dinners. Everybody wants to talk to her and not me. <laughs> and I am, I am blessed. And she guides me and helped prep me to talk to you. And two, I was ra- actually, one of the reasons I do this, I was raised in a very challenging environment. I, I did not have the best um, environment at home. And actually, there was a guy who was a cop who kind of became like my big brother and has stayed that way throughout my entire life. He's been to every one of my graduations, marriage, everything. Wow. That's amazing. You want to give him a shout out? Pete Hurley. Chief Pete Hurley. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's like my dad. Hey, Chief Pete. All right. What's your favorite love song? Two. Either Frank Sinatra, Got You Under My Skin. Uh Uh-huh. Or Elton John, your song. Nice. Oh, I like both of those too. Yes. All right. What's the one piece of advice that you'd share with, and this can be either your 20-something-year-old self or someone, I can't imagine who that would be, following in your footsteps? Keep going. You, you keep, no matter what happens, you keep going. I mean, there's that a Winston Churchill thing when you're march, walking through hell, keep walking. And that's, I think, really true now. There is tomorrow. No matter what, you just stand back up. Whatever happens, you... Deal with it and stand back up. And which, do you even watch romantic comedies? Which uh, romantic I comedy? Okay, love, okay. I you, love rom-coms. Okay. What's your favorite one? Which could you watch on repeat? I love them. Okay, a couple. <laughs> 1958, Sophia Loren, Cary Grant, Houseboat. Okay. <laughs> Great movie. Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant, Charade. Okay. Oh, I did. I That, that one I've seen, Yeah. And you got to do Notting Hill. Just, oh, um, yes. I'm just, I'm a, just girl a girl standing in yes. front of a boy. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Gordon, thank you so much for joining us today on All's Fair to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on the family law system across the U.S. Please tell everyone where they can find you online. We are at SignatureResolution.com. Uh, Judge Gordon at SignatureResolution.com. And thank you for you guys informing people because information is incredibly important. So thank you. And I really do. I want to say, I'll say it while he's here and listening, but I, I had been using a lot of the private judges already because we do that at our firm and it's been incredibly helpful, particularly now, but even before. And when a bunch of these guys got together and formed signature resolutions, they really are just wonderful. They have been so fantastic. The offices administratively setting up these Zoom things, making sure people are getting the kind of relief and access that they need. And I just want to say to our listeners, this is, you know, we're often very kind of 
on two ends of the spectrum on the show, whether it's wealthy family law litigants that would be coming to the firm and the celebrities that sometimes we interview and sometimes we've represented. And then we've got our It's Over Easy folks that are generally a little bit more high-tech, lower income. I really do believe that this idea of, you know, the private judges taking things out of the system is, and, and I think the judges, because I've talked to our current presiding family law judge, Judge Riff, it's all good. It's all around good. It is affordable, and it is something that if you're able to do it, I highly recommend it. It's the kind of out-of-the-box thinking and mediation that we discuss all the time on the show and on the It's Over Easy platform, but it's that plus. It's with a little bit of help from folks who have been doing this a long time and are really able not only to give an unbiased opinion, but a really uh, wizened and experienced opinion. So I definitely suggest checking it out. If there's something in your neighborhood, if you're in California, Signature, I know the guys sometimes will even fly up to Northern California to mediate or hear things, but I think it is the wave of the future in a lot of legal forums, but certainly family law really lends itself. So please do take that into consideration. Those of you who listen to what I say, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. And as I am, and I will make one order here. Yes. Be well and safe. Oh, thank you, Your Honor. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, Judge Gordon. Bye. Okay. Bye. That was awesome, right? He's really good. And I love the fact that he, I love the fact that he was a cop. I love the fact that he came up. And so he knows what it's like to be in not a good situation. He's put himself on the front lines in some really scary situations. He's, he's real people. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. And I think people tend to have this idea of what a judge is like, you know, Judge Judy, for example, who's like this sort of like, you know, little B basically. Um, but, uh, he was so relatable and nice. And, uh, like you said, just a, a really good guy. So we'll be back next Tuesday with more news you can use. Yes. And hopefully by then, Teresa and Eric Green in Florida have got their custody situations all you know sorted out. But until we're back next week, leave a review and rate us at Apple Podcasts. We really do treasure your feedback, guys. And these days when we're all still stuck at home, reading your reviews helps us pass the time and really, really curate this podcast as something that those of you who are listening will love. Thank you, everyone. Please take care. Stay healthy, happy, safe, and sane. Let's speak next week.